Welcome to season two of the SCMRC Lead Podcast, featuring epic supply chain lessons from our industry partners. My name is Donnie Williams, and I am the Executive Director of the Supply Chain Management Research Center in the Walton College at the University of Arkansas. Season two of the podcast will be hosted by Mike Grain. Mike is the Director of the Retail Supply Chain Initiative, and this is a strategic partnership within the SCMRC. The goal of this initiative is to surface the challenges and opportunities of on-shelf availability, or OSA, focusing on the concepts, tools, and technologies driving retail OSA. Season two will feature a dynamic guest list of retailers, CPG suppliers, solution providers, and industry leaders to drive collaborative efforts and advance learning within the industry. Thank you for joining and enjoy the podcast. Today, I'm extremely excited to speak with Dr. Bill Hargrave. Bill has spent more than seven years as the Dean of the Harvard College of Business at Auburn University. Dr. Hargrave assumed the position of Provost and Senior Vice President on January 1st, 2018. In this role, Bill oversees the academic mission of the Auburn University, instruction, research, and outreach. Dr. Hargrave came to the Auburn University in August of 2010 when he was appointed the Dean and Wells Fargo Professor in the Halbert College of Business. Dr. Hargrave previously held the Bradbury Chair of Information Systems in the Sam M. Walton College of Business, the University of Arkansas, and served as the Executive Director of the Information Technology Research. Dr. Hargrave is an accomplished scholar, and he is considered a thought leader in the field of RFID, specifically its use in deployment of global supply chains. He has worked with numerous companies such as Walmart, Macy's, JCPenney, Dillers, and Motorola on a variety of RFID projects. In recognition for his contributions, Bill has received the Ted Williams Award from the AIM Global as one of the most influential research in the field of RFID and the Special Achievement Award from RFID Journal for his overall impact on the field. He is a highly sought-after speaker, delivering almost 200 invited talks across the globe to a total audience of in excess of 35,000. Please welcome Dr. Hargrave to talk specifically about the importance of buy online, pick up in store, and its relation to retail. Dr. Hargrave, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here. Appreciate the invitation. Awesome. We have worked together for so long in the area of both uh, on-hand accuracy and technologies like RFID. We, we could probably spend two or three hours on uh, talking just about different stories and projects that we've been on with industry, et cetera. But, but today I want to really be this very, very narrow focused um, because there's this new dynamic, at least new to the industry and, and to customers, that, that is really focusing on omni-channel. We've been talking about omni-channel and buy online and pick up in store for a lot of years, but I don't think until the COVID pandemic happened, people really understood what that meant. So we've done a lot of uh, interesting conversation around on-hand accuracy, and I really want to connect it back to what the biggest opportunities are, which is buy online and pick up in store. But before we get into that, I have a personal question for you, and I've asked this of guests because not only are you an expert in this field, both from an academic standpoint as well as industry leadership, 
but you're also a customer. You mm-hmm. buy things in stores, whether it's Best Buy or whether it's Amazon or Walmart or Target, etc. So one of the things I've asked all of the folks who have been guests of this is, do you have a personal example where you actually ordered something online and you went in and you were disappointed because the order wasn't fulfilled? Do you have a story like that? And if so, we'd love to hear about the story. Yeah, and I'm and I'm gonna I'm gonna um, make it even a little broader than, than that if I'm if I may, Mike. Sure. Um, so you, you know we've we've been working. You and I, as you say, you and I've been working in this space for a long time, and and um, really starting in 2018 um, in in earnest. Um, you, you know, the so we really started talking about omnichannel. We started talking about it before then, but really in 2018 in particular, you know, retailers really started talking about, oh yeah, we're omnichannel, we're omnichannel. In 2019, you know, 80% of the retailers said, yep, we're omni-channel ready. And I, you know, I, I think we'll talk about omni-channel later on. If not, I'll probably work it back in a little bit more. But, um, you know, one of the one of the key aspects of, of omni-channel is buy online, pick up, and store. Right. That's, you know, that's it's, it's kind of one of those key aspects. And so in the, the holiday season of 2019, I decided I was going to, to really test out whether retailers truly uh, could execute on bonus. And mm-hmm. so I did all my Christmas shopping that, in 2019. Really? Via bonus. That's the only way I bought anything was via bonus. And, and just to be clear, that was pre-pandemic too. That was pre-pandemic, right? Okay. So so starting okay. in, in November and December, everything I bought, I bought via bonus. And the results were were shocking eye-opening and quite sad mm. um at how poorly retailers executed really across the board in the itch one what should be the simplest omni-channel enablement got it and and i could tell you know i can give you all kinds of stories of you know from you know from from the largest retailers down to the smallest retailers from apparel to to automotive to across the board and that realization in 2019 is what led us to really doing some in-depth studies on the execution of bopus now we started in earnest there and and really we started looking at it, collected a lot of data and then of course the pandemic hit and when it hit, it, it was a game changer, right? Because pre-pandemic, you know, retailers kind of looked at both as kind of as a nice to have. It's like, yeah, I mean, you will offer it as a consumers. For the pandemic, it became a lifeline for a lot of retailers. And many retailers were absolutely not prepared for that and i'm assuming that because it, it was it because of frictionless shopping people didn't want to go into the store or safety yeah. do you think yeah. that was the major driver it, it was that, that was a major driver right is hey i i want i don't want to go to the store i don't want to get around people so i'll order it and i'll go pick it up or you'll bring it out and drop it in my car or something but you know this whole idea of touchless and and a lot of stores of course went dark mm-hmm. right in the early stages of, of the pandemic and and people could order online and, and beyond just Bopus, right? Of, of hey, I'll, I can go ahead and order my stuff online and get it delivered to the house. And that was a whole other issue that maybe we want to talk about of, of the inventory accuracy or inaccuracy, I should say. But let me get let me get back. I'm I'm getting a field already, Mike. Um, I, I wanted to share with you a, a, 
uh, just a couple of things that we found. You asked for the, some, some personal experiences there. And um, so what, what, we would, what we would do, uh, what I would do is knowing that, um, that we had, um, that they were, they were executing poorly, I would, here's how I would, here's why I do it after I started realizing this is really bad. So I would go into the store and I'd, I would have my mobile device with me. I'd make sure I wasn't on the Wi-Fi. I wasn't using their app. So they didn't know who I was and they didn't know I was in the store, right? And I would literally stand in front of a shelf looking at the product and go online and say, I'd like to buy this and pick it up in store. And I'm standing there looking at the product. And, and, I, and so I'll share with you some of the things that I got. For example, in apparel, I'm standing here, I'm looking at, there's five on the shelf on my mobile device that says, sorry, this product's unavailable at this location. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm another one, apparel. I'm looking at, there's four on the shelf. Online, it says there's one left. Another, another apparel item, there's th- I'm looking at, it, there's three of them on the shelf. Online, it says it's out of stock. Another one, I'm looking at it, there's nine on the shelf. It doesn't even appear on their website. So Mike, that that I just want to share with you. That's just a cut, that's just a handful. And that I've got I've got tons of these where it's like this is this is such poor execution that that you're that you're leaving money or the retailers are leaving money on the table. Yeah. So so not to not to try and solve their problems, but do you think they just do, were hiding inventory for other reasons? Do you think they didn't want to disappoint customers? We, we've talked with Justin about the, the importance of on-hand accuracy and yeah. ghost inventory. Do you think it was that? What do you think the driving factor for that many examples of retailers saying not available when you're standing right in front of it is clearly you, you've got it? Yeah, it's, it's a combination of factors. Uh, the biggest one, I believe, is that they simply don't know what they have in the store mm. and they just don't have any confidence in what they have in the store. So when they don't, when you don't have confidence, you do a couple of things. One, either you just completely hide it. Right. And so you just say, Oh, that's not available. Right. Or you don't even put it on the website to, to even make it an option. But, but that, it, that um, lack of confidence in your accuracy also then manifests itself in, in some, threshold values. And, and we've seen this time and time again with a retailer and they'll set these threshold values. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a couple of instances. Uh, one is kind of realistic. One is that's, that's kind of ridiculous, but, but it would not be unusual, for example, for a retailer who really doesn't have high confidence in their inventory accuracy to say, okay, you know, build it into the systems. Look, if we have three or less of this, then, then don't show, you know, just say we're out of stock or not available because we don't really know if we have three, so let's make sure that we, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to have somebody come to the store to pick up something and then get here and be disappointed, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So they'll, so they'll hide in this buffer. They'll create this buffer. Now, I'll give you a ridiculous example of where the retailer, when we started working with them, I don't know how they, somebody in the retailer didn't think about this, but they had um, um, set their buffers at four. Okay, that's fine. Well, what's your what's your average skew depth? Three. 
<laughs> you're never available. Yeah. So if your average skew depth is three and you set your buffer at four, you're, you're hiding all your inventory, right? Oh my God. That was exactly what we were seeing with this retailer. They just, they, they didn't, they weren't showing anything. And, and, um, and it was, it was interesting because what, what led to us finding this is this retailer, we were talking about Vopus and, and they're saying, yeah, we tried Vopus and, you know, we're not generating any sales from Vopus. So you're not generating any sales? No, no, not really, nothing to speak of. And when we started looking, it's because you, you know, they were hiding all their inventory. Mm. So I, I, I think the, you know, the, this idea of not knowing what you have, you know, and that manifests itself in, in in creating these buffers or completely, you know, showing, you know, um, not showing it at all, um, and and really just not wanting to disappoint that that customer. I mean, there's mm. a lot of factors, but those are the big ones. Wow, that's an incredible ex couple of examples. And not only did you give me one example, you gave Sorry. me about a dozen examples, <laughs> and those are all—they're all really good capos. So, so I, I've got a statement that I've used as part of the supply chain um, research initiative as part of the University of Arkansas. I'd love to get your reaction to it. Okay, the future of retailing is going to be omni-channel. It's both brick and mortar and online. And yep. certainly Bopus, which is ordering it online and then coming and either picking it up in the store, having to put it in the back of your car, or if you're Walmart, delivering it to somebody's home through a, a service, or Walmart Plus actually coming in, putting it in your refrigerator. Okay, yep. so those are all options. But in order to be successful, you have to know what you have and you have to know where it's located at an extreme high level of accuracy. True or not true? 100% true. Okay, cool. And, and, and the bottom line is we know from the research that we've done together and with the Auburn RFID lab, we're looking at an industry average of 50 to 60% accuracy. And if it's wrong, usually it's overstated, which means I've got inventory. I think I have inventory, but I really don't. I'm overstating what I have. How in the world, in the world, are we going to get out of this? Because if that's a growing trend, we got retailers, in your examples, hiding inventory. Clearly, the customers are going to continue demand not only BOPUS from a safety COVID perspective, but frankly, time. Nobody likes spending 45 minutes in a store picking up basic items, right? So they start to rely on buy online pickup in stores not to only save them time and save them money, both. So how, how are we going to get the industry where we need them to be? Well, I think the pandemic was a huge eye-opener for many in the industry. You know, as I said earlier, you know, kind of pre-pandemic, a lot of retailers viewed Bopus as this, well, this is kind of a nice little feature, but it's not it's not core to who we are, right? I mean, I, you know, people are still going to come in the store, they're still going to shop us, and this is just kind of a nice little feature. You know, consumers in the pandemic, that became a lifeline, as I indicated earlier. Post-pandemic, consumers absolutely expect it. There's no, there's no doubt, and, it, and it's, it, it's no longer a nice to have, it's it is a requirement now. You're not going to have a, a, a strategic, competitive, strategic competitive advantage because of it, but you will have a strategic disadvantage if you don't have it. Mm. And, and so retailers are, are now finding that they've got to do that. And, and one of the things that we've done, Mike, to help retailers out is we created a scorecard around BOPUS and and we we went in we 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 went up now to to um, um, about a hundred retailers 
and and did an analysis for them. We will and we'll compare what what um, what they their their metrics against industry and against their peers from the same uh, industry. And, and Mike, it's shocking, but it's it 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 at least opens their eyes. I mean, I, I'll give you a couple of uh, stats from what we've seen in the industry around BOPUS. The, the, the first one, which is really a simple one, right, is, you know, do you show on your website the count, the inventory count, right? So if you're going in and you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm wanting these, these, um, these windshield wipers or these tires or whatever it may be, do you show as a retailer the count? Only 35% of the retailers are showing the count. Wow. Now, now, now just, wait a minute. Does does the count mean in stock or not in stock, or do you mean I got seven? When you say yeah, count, no, a specific number. A I've specific got seven. number. Yeah, okay. only thirty five percent. Now, the obvious question is, well, why why wouldn't a retailer show the count? Well, the reason why they don't show the count is they're not really confident in the count, right? All right, so that's that's a that's a that's a red flag, right? If you're not showing the count, that means you don't know what you have, all right? Second one, which is which is much much more, I think, damning on the on the retailers. You, you mentioned this 50, 55, 60 percent inventory accuracy. You know, as we what we know in store for BOPUS accuracy, the number drops to thirteen percent. Wow! Now this is across a lot of categories of retailers and, and doing exactly what I described earlier. We we walk in, we say we want this product. I'm looking on the shelf, and, and do the numbers match? Only 13%, Mike, oh my 13%. Goodness. Now, wow. and look, now that, that's a 13% with, with an asterisk, though, however, right? Because it could be that somebody's picked up a couple of items, put them in their shopping cart, and they're somewhere else in the store. So that's it's not a hard and fast number, but it's you, you get the kind of the sense it wasn't 90%, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's 13%. So we know there's a lot of work to do there. And, you know, we've even done the analysis of, hey, are you actually showing, you know, the idea behind Omnichannel is that it's not online or in the store. It is product and it's available to the consumer when, how and where she wants it. Right. Right. And if you're if you're distinguishing your channels, well, you're not Omnichannel, you're multi-channel. It's, it's an improvement over a unichannel, but it's not Omnichannel. Right. And, and so if you're really going to get to Omnichannel, then what you have in the store should be available, you know, to on, on other media, right? At your phone, your computer home. Mm-hmm. And likewise, if you're showing something, uh, you know, on the mobile desk, it should be in the store as well. We, we've got a lot of work there for retailers to sync those things up and make it seamless for the consumer. Yeah. So, so one of the things I guess I would ask you, you mentioned the fact that you, your team was going out and doing research and I'm assuming the retailers don't even know you're doing this research on them. That is correct. Uh, so, so the, I guess the first question is if I'm a retailer listening to this podcast, I already know there's probably three reasons I don't have product on the shelf. One is my own hands are wrong. Second, I've got operation problems in the store. It's sitting in the truck somewhere, it's sitting in the back room, et cetera. Third is this really, really weird word, which is hard to define, which is it's the supply chain, whatever that means, right? <laughs> right. So so if you've already done research on my myself as a retailer, how do I find out about that? Do you have do we have people that we can contact uh, on your team that can allow us to have a discussion about what our results are and what steps we can go through to improve them? Yeah, uh, absolutely, and, and we we've shared with most of the retailers at this point 
uh, that we've worked with because we reached out and said, hey, you know, just let you know, we, we, we've done this. We're happy to share the results. We actually give them a little customized report, you know, and just say, hey, here, here's what we found. If you if you want to talk to us about it, great. But otherwise, we just hope this will help you as you as you think about how to, how to execute better as a retailer. So okay. I, I think we I think we've contacted um, the vast majority of the retailers that have been involved. Okay. And then if a retailer is not been involved, we, you know, we'd love to include them. I mean, it's pretty easy to do. Take our, take our scorecard and go through as so we measure the, you know, the, the online side that, you know, that you're, you know, where you're ordering Bopus, you know, the communications, like the number of emails you get, and does it tell you where the stuff's at and even pick up, you know, do you, you know, is there certain hours you pick up? Where do you pick up? And so we've got three categories of the scorecard. Okay. And really, there's no good or bad. But what we do is we we show you where you're at relative to others who are like you, and then to the entire industry. And and of course, the more we do, the the, the better our numbers get as far as uh, reliable across the industry. So so what's interesting to me is if the retailers already know this. And by the way, they probably already knew this anyway. <laughs> you're just exposing what they already knew and didn't want a lot of people know. One of the things that I think would be an opportunity is to share the same information with the suppliers. Yeah. The Hanes, the Fruits, the LG television sets, right. the, the Samsungs, the, the Goodyear tires, etc. I wonder if they realize the lost sales they may be experiencing because retailers are not necessarily knowing what they have and know where it's located and what the implications to their sales are. Because clearly BOPUS has taken off. Whether it's whether people want it or not, people want that time savings and they want that frictional experience, and nobody enjoys going and getting basic stock ups up items. They do enjoy shopping in stores. So, I, I would I would suggest that I can connect them, uh, and I will put a little link of this in this uh, thing to the Auburn University team okay. who's doing this because I think suppliers would be extremely interested in looking at their say top five retailers. What is their BOPA scores, especially as it relates to uh, how they're meeting customer needs. I think that would be a fascinating thing for the for the suppliers as well, because they're losing sales too. Yeah, it's yeah. not just the retailer. Well, now, so so Mike, let me let me do make one thing clear, so we're not promising something we we're not delivering. So so I would never, and let's just take um, uh, retailer X Y Z, right? So we'll we'll take and and we'll we'll do the scorecard for retailer X Y Z and 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 give them a little table showing here X Y Z. Here's your score. And here's the, those who, you know, the similar retailer like you. And then here's industry. We do not. Now, we put on our website the okay. industry numbers. We do not share that particular retailer's numbers. Got it. So that's it. yeah, we, we consider that private to that retailer. And we're not okay. we're not going to expose that to the world. So, that's so really how, for the retailer. Yeah. No, that's that's perfectly understand that. So how do you help the supplier? Yeah. especially the suppliers who are making investments in technology like RFID, help them understand the value they're getting out. Because I would assume, and I don't want to make this an RFID discussion, but if I'm spending money to put a tag on a product, I yeah. sure would like to know my BOPA scores for the retailers that are using that technology is better than the ones who are not, for example. Yeah, well, so so uh, one of the things... Um, there's a there's there's a couple of, of of things to consider there, Mike, with with um, what you just indicated. So so first of all, um, when when we talk about a supplier, and, and and let's talk about national brands, okay, right, or or, or international, however you want to look at them. The thing about Bopus now is that it, it 
if you're a, if a retailer and you're not executing, you as a retailer are likely to lose that sale because, you know, and, and, and look, I, I'm going to put my own consumer hat on, right? When I order something from Bopus, it means I want I want it pretty soon. What we normally see is when somebody orders from Bopus, they want to pick it up within two hours or at least later that day, right? They don't want to pick it up two days later, or three days later. You know, they want it now. And if I go to to my my favorite retailer's website and say, "Hey, I I, I need these windshield wipers," and and they don't show that they have it. You know what? And and if I want this particular type of windshield wiper in this particular car, I'm not going to go. Oh gosh, they you know they don't have it. That's too bad. I'm going to go to another retailer, right? Who has that brand? And I'm going to go to that retailer who may have it in stock, who may show me online what they have. And I, I, so so the retailers have to be very careful because consumers now have the power, especially with national brands. They don't have to buy it from your store. True. They'll find it. We've had some funny conversation on here. I wonder how many retailers, just take Walmart, for example. I wonder how much Wi-Fi bandwidth is being used by customers in their store to order stuff from Amazon because they don't have it. I mean, that's a funny thing to think about, but you're actually paying for the service that allows somebody to buy it from your competitor because they came to buy it from you and you you disappointed them. And I'm going to order ahead to order it and I'll get it in a day or two from Amazon. Yeah, Great point. Right. Yeah. And so so now to this point, then, of well, for the for the suppliers who are tagging things and even, and for the retailers. So one of the one of the recent analysis we did was we were we've now collected enough data. We started teasing apart what's the performance between those who are using RFID and those who are not. Uh-huh. All right. So earlier I gave you a, a kind of a simple metric, right? Thirty five percent of the retailers showed their inventory count uh, online, right? The actual, the actual number. For those using RFID, 100% of them wow. showed the count wow. online. And wow. why? Because they have confidence in what they have, okay. right? Because so, if the RFID system says you have seven, you have seven. So, so peel that back. Yep. You know which retailers are using RFID and which categories they're using it for. Can yes, you can you demonstrate a sizable difference in their BOPUS scores if they're a retailer that's using RFID for some categories versus other categories? I would assume the answer would yes. be yes. Yeah, the answer is yes. Okay. The is, yes. is that both in what they're confident exposing as well as the on-hand accuracy or both? Both. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because that on-hand accuracy then lifts that confidence, right? Gotcha. Be able to give those numbers. And, and before we get too far down this path of BOPUS and focusing on that, let's also throw into this mix on how consumers behave with what's called ROBUS, research online, buy in store. 74% of consumers now will research something online before they go to the store to buy it. Now, a good number of those will go ahead and bopus it, yep. but there are many that do not. And again, I'm going to put my own consumer hat on. There's a lot of times where, you know, while I'm getting ready to run the store, I'm not going to go and let you, we talked about Walmart. I'm not going to go to Walmart unless I know they have it. Right. I'll get online, look, oh, dang, they don't have it. Okay, well, let me see if Target has it, right? Yep. Let, let me see if so-and-so has it. Yep. 
and, and I'm going to go there because I'm going to research it online to see if they have it before I ever go. That is a huge one. That's impossible to measure because we don't know what that consumer, right? If they look, if they go to your store and try to find something and they don't, you know, whether they still come or they don't come. But that's one that, you know, it's kind of a hidden loss by having inaccurate inventory and hiding that inventory in your store and not showing it online. Yeah, yeah. There, there's there's got to be a switching pattern here too, because let's walk through this example. If I'm going in and they don't have, I'll just make it up, bounty paper towels, and my wife said, bring home paper towels, I'm not going to Target. I'm not going to Harps. I'm going to buy a different brand of paper towels, right? Yeah. So certain categories, I'm willing to switch. Yeah, that's right. I'm not willing to switch on dog food because I don't want to get my dog sick. I'm not willing to switch on printer cartridges because if you've got a thousand printer cartridges but you don't have the black one for my printer, I'm walking right. away. So, so how do you distinguish switching whether the retail is going to suffer, i.e. I'm going to another retailer, or whether the brand is going to suffer, i.e. I'm going to switch to another brand within that retailer? Yeah, it, that, that that was a tough question, Mike. You know, to to really tease apart because of of, of, of buyer behavior, right? Right. Right. Uh, and, but but we do know, especially across uh, you know categories and even brands, what the what the buyer behavior is. And I, I mean, I'll, I'll take an example, and you use a good example of paper towels, where you might go, you know, I want a bounty, but I just need a paper towel. Well, let's take something like ketchup, because we know like ketchup, people like a particular brand. And if I go in and I say I, I I buy Heinz tomato ketchup, and if they don't have the and I like the the 24 ounce bottle, if they don't have the 24 ounce bottle, I don't buy Hunts. Right. I buy either a smaller or a larger bottle of Heinz. Yep. Well, that's still a form of switching behavior, but it, you, but you see the the yeah. I mean, it gets very complex to see. Well, well, did you know did 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 you really get hurt? Well, even as a retailer, if they wanted that particular size. Right. Maybe if they bought the bigger size, the, the margin is smaller where if that, you know, and so so you your, your margin is not as much maybe on the bigger bottle. And now the consumer is going to have a bottle that lasts longer. So they're not going to come in as often for that. I mean, so right. there's all kinds of I mean, all the ripple effects of that. You ask a good question and I'm kind of dancing around because it it's a really it's a good question. It's a very difficult one to tease apart because of the, the buyer behavior. We, we look at a lot of areas like apparel is not one that has a lot of switching behavior, right? If, if I wear a size, you know, 33, 34 jeans, I'm not going to buy a size 40, 40 because they have it in stock, right? I'm going to buy, and even style, I'm going to buy, you know, I like this brand, this style, and this size. So there's not a lot of switching behavior in that. And, we, and so we looked more at things that didn't have a lot of switching behavior. Yep. So I got another question for you. This won't yeah. be easy either, but it's a right. question that I struggle with and I know a lot of people in the industry struggle with. You already said as part of your BOPUS research back in 2009 that inventory wasn't accurate. People were hiding inventory. You're standing there looking at the shelf. They have product, but they say they don't have product. For people who are out there trying to make investment decisions on technology, RFID could be one, but there are other technologies as well. How do you correlate on-hand accuracy to sales? Because that's really what everybody wants to know. Can you, can you, are we far enough down in the academic research to be able to make a correlation that says getting on-hand to this level will generate this kind of incremental sales for you? 
Yeah. So, um, and so, Mike, I, I want to correct you. You said 2009. I want to make sure it was 2019. I'm we, sorry. Yes, 2019. <laughs> 2009 would have been really. Uh, <laughs> a, a, so a, a sorry. What's <laughs> oh, 10 years amongst friends? You, you know, <laughs> you, you know um, we do know that inventory accuracy impacts sales. And in a non omni channel environment, there's a lot less things that it impacts. You know, inventory accuracy. It impacts, you know, inventory availability, which impacts customer satisfaction, which impacts sales. And it's a it's you know, there's there's several variables, but you can you can you can start working on those when well, omni channel environment. And, and when I've got a, I've got a model and I've uh, you know, uh, it's too complicated to really kind of go over here. But but it basically triples the number of variables that are considered, because now you've got the the the. The buy online pickup and store and the ship from store and the the research online buying store and and all that that start factors in from inventory accuracy and how it impacts those things right um so so we do know that there's a link between inventory accuracy and sales and and one of the projects that we're starting to undertake here and i it's a very very ambitious project is what is that link with all these variables in there so that, for example, if we could increase inventory accuracy by 1%, what is the impact on sales? We don't know the answer to that question right now. Okay. But we, but, but I think we do need to answer it. And we do know it's going to be really difficult to answer because all the factors that, that but you know what? We need to try because I think for sound investments, Especially once you get to a certain point, I, you know. Look, if you're at thirty percent inventory accuracy, you need to be better, right? But once you hit ninety percent or maybe ninety-two percent, well, what if? How much? You know, if I could invest another ten million dollars to get two percent inventory accuracy, what does that mean to my sales? So you really start looking mm-hmm. at those incremental investments and the incremental increase in sales. We cannot answer that question right now. Great perspective. Great point. Well, I'm glad you're working on it because I do believe it's an industry pro- problem. People have asked me that 20 years I've been working in this space. Hey, w- well, if I invest in this to get my own hand at 98%, what's it going to generate in, in sales? And my answer is typically, uh, I know it's going to get better, but I can't really give you an answer. So I think that would be helpful. I have one more question for you as a closing question. It, and this will be an easy one for you because I know what we've talked about this a lot. Even if I'm 100% accurate, Let's just say I've got 50 SKUs and I am 100% accurate. There's this concept called serialization, whether it's leveraging RFID or else. How important is it for serialized inventory to know the status of an item? Our example is always televisions. I've got three televisions. Yeah, but one of them's on the TV wall showing customers how they work. One just got returned by a customer because it's broke, so it's back in claims. So I really only have one to sell, but mine has has three. Don't want to specifically talk about RFID, but the value of serialization. Everybody just looks at a UPC and account. What is the importance for the future roadmap of the people listening about being able to serialize the products you have in a store? Well, there, there's a. Um... There's a lot of implications from that, uh, uh, you know, and, and, let, and let's just take a couple of simple ones. One, one is returns. Why is it so difficult now for returns or why is that such a painful process? It's because when, when, when I buy this coat, well, it, ha- it has a UPC that's, that is not unique to this coat. 
And so if I take this Coke back in without the receipt, they don't know who bought it, how much it was paid for, where it was purchased. But if it's serialized, then they would know, oh, Bill Hargrave bought this coat at, at this retailer and paid this amount for it. The, the returns process and even the reverse logistics become so much simpler. And, and from a theft perspective, you know, we, you know, the, the shrinkage that we have in the stores is, is incredible. And a lot of the theft occurs because people steal something only to, to take it back to another store to get a refund. That's how they get cash for it. Well, serialization cuts out that a major avenue for that organized theft, because when they take it back in, it would clearly show, you know what? This product was actually stolen from this other store. It was never purchased. Um, you think about things about recall, recalls. Right. Right now we have a trouble with recall because, again, let's say that they uh, recalled some uh, you know, pick a pick a product. Right. UPC that say, yeah, this we, we, we we've got 50,000 of them out there. We need to recall them all. Well, no, we probably don't. We know which if it was serialized, we would actually know which batch and where the store was. It would save a lot of time and energy there. Uh, there's just so many benefits to the consumer if we can get to that serialized level. Um, it's long overdue uh, to get there. RFID and, and carrying electronic product code, the EPC, really is a huge step toward doing that. And that's one of the major advantages yeah. uh, of RFID and EPC. And I know yeah. you didn't ask for particular about no. that, but serialization is is kind of that underpinning. Yeah, but you can do, it doesn't have to be RFID, it can be 2D barcode, but the bottom line is knowing that unique item. Here's the only other, thing, other one I'll tell you, and, and I'll close. Um, is uh, counterfeit. I mean, no, if I know exactly what items are my, let's just take Nike. Nike spends a lot of marketing money on that swoosh, right? Yep. Really easy to copy that with a printing press and sell for half price and, you know, yep. just go crazy selling stuff. Now I have the ability to say all of the legitimate Nike products have these serial numbers. If you're getting anything else, it's counterfeit black market, don't accept it or whatever yeah. you want to do with it. I think that, I mean, pharmaceuticals, yeah. drugs, et cetera, I think there's a huge opportunity for serialization in that market as well. I completely agree. And I, you know, I'm remiss, I didn't mention that, but counterfeiting is a, is a huge, huge uh, use case for yeah. serialization. Well, here's the deal. I had about seven questions that I wanted to I sent you beforehand of things. We didn't talk about one of them except give me your experience with Bopas. And that's the way our relationship has been for the last 20 years. It's just conversational. I'll have to go back and look at what questions I said I was going to ask you because I guarantee I didn't even come close. But yeah. that's okay because this was a meaningful pop. The bottom line is Bopas is the future. If they didn't take any way, anything else from that. Number two is you've got to know what you have and where it's located if you want to meet that Bopas need. And thirdly, the folks at Auburn are doing some pretty cool work around researching Bopas and trying to connect on-hand accuracy to that very important nugget that everybody wants, which is sales. So, Bill, any other closing comments before we wrap it up here? No, I just say, first of all, thanks for having me on here, Mike. And uh, you, you look, you, you and I have known each other a very long time. You shouldn't be surprised that we didn't get through any of the questions beyond the first one, because, you know, you you, you start talking and, you know, you and I have so much history and and so much, you have so much uh, uh, knowledge in this space. It's uh, it's easy to have a 30-minute a conversation um, about just about one thing. And so uh, uh, I'd love to, love to be back on, Mike, at some point, uh, if, if I can add any value. It's uh, certainly an honor to be on here with you. Awesome. Bill, thank you very much for your time. 
All right, thank you, Mike. Thank you for taking the time for this epic discussion. A special thanks to Mike Grain for leading the Retail Supply Chain Initiative. On behalf of the Walton SEMRC, we are delighted to lead with you as we learn, engage, address, and develop all things supply chain to lead the world of commerce from Northwest Arkansas. Have a great day.